Hello and welcome to the Saturday Down South Podcast, a very special edition of the Saturday Down South Podcast. It is, it just meant more. This is our second edition of this. Today, number nine Florida, number one LSU, 2007, Death Valley, at night. I have chills just saying that, Marler, I think you do too. <laughs> All right, so we were talking about this off air, and it was like just how awesome this is, because I, so I remember exactly where I was watching this game, it was at... My buddy Sean Harrell, who doesn't listen to the podcast, it was his 21st birthday, and Uncle Chris had just gotten a pretty substantial student loan check-in um, that I didn't understand wasn't real money, and threw a massive party at our apartment uh, in Milledgeville. And I just remember <laughs> my buddy, who's like next to me all the time, is Aaron Clark, who's a massive, massive LSU fan. Um, he was not having any fun, I will say that, for most of the night. This game is kind of one of those best games to not be a fan for. Yeah. This is qu- yeah. this is quintessential SEC. When I think of like peak regular season SEC football, like two teams competing for a national championship, you've got Tebow, you've got this team that's like defensively dominant uh, in LSU, just an unreal atmosphere. Like everything about this game is like peak SEC during this era, where of course the SEC rattles off this six national championship right. in in six years, like all that stuff, or seven and seven years. That's what that's what it was. I don't know why I'm blanking on that, but 2006 to 2012, yeah. of course. And this is still kind of the early stages of this, where Florida is coming off of this national championship, and it's year one of Tebow as a starter, but it's. It's still such a great rivalry game where, you know, college game day, of course, is in yeah. the house for this. This was their third straight time facing off as top 15 teams, which is pretty amazing to think about. Um, like, in a rivalry that doesn't happen that, that much. I mean, I don't know many rivalries in college football that have a streak like that. Um, even, like, Ohio yeah. State-Michigan doesn't even have a, a current streak like that. Um, well, yeah, because Michigan sucks. Well, Michigan's, Michigan's like there in the top 10, top 15, yeah. but even like because 2017, they were really bad. But it was, it was interesting going into the season of like for this because you have, you have Florida that won, wins the national championship the year before, and they, they win it in, and people, people don't really remember this, like the start of the SEC's dominance of that, that whole stretch run. Like this is when that whole narrative was built. Like yep. I grew up around this and like watching it my, my whole life. You didn't hear people like Keith Jackson and and you know Vern Lundquist or, or I think Todd Blackledge was with them too like back back in the day in CBS. You didn't hear them have that whole narrative like this is the SEC. It's the toughest conference in the country. It's the best players in the country. You just you just didn't hear that. And you know the 2006 ended with that Michigan Ohio State game that was like 49-42 and and they were game of the century know, was built. Game of, should they should they replay Troy Smith on the Heisman for some unknown reason and then. They, after after Ted Ginn runs that opening kickoff back, they get absolutely housed by by Florida. So everyone thought. I remember going into the season. I have a lot of friends who are Florida fans. Yeah, you know what? Like this is the start of like when are they going to lose? Like how are they going to lose? Because yeah, Chris Leak was great and all blah blah blah. But we have Tim Tebow now, and the hype around this team. And you could from an outsider is like, hold on, they're really young, like really young. Yeah. But you just kind of thought like it wasn't going to stop rolling. We'll get to we'll get to Tebow in a minute here when we go through our, our A listers, but just to sort of set the scene. So, as we often recommend with these, it just meant more podcasts. If you want to go back, all these games are on YouTube. That's how we're able to to watch these. 
And uh, you know, many of you who are listening to this know how this game played out with LSU pulling off an epic right. comeback at the end, down a couple scores in the fourth quarter. Matt Flynn, Jacob Hester kind of rallied the troops. <laughs> what a great sentence that is. What a great <laughs> sentence that is. It's, there's so much, there's a lot of star power in this game, but it's, it's funny you say that because remember the first one we did, it was like, man. Amari Cooper and Eddie Lacy and and TJ, like and and then like Todd Gurley and you're like dude Jacob Hester and Matt Flynn put the team on their back. <laughs> so Florida, because cool. Florida was coming off of this uh, this loss to Auburn, but at the same time, with LSU coming in as the number one team, both of these teams still had national championship aspirations. We did oh, not yeah. know at the time right. of this game how crazy 2007 was going to be. Craziest year in the history of college football. Best season of college football ever. But it just sort of felt like, in the buildup for this, it just sort of felt like the winner of this game was going to go yeah. on to a national championship. It had that type of feel to it. And you know what's weird, too, is that I don't remember, and I, I'm, I could be wrong about this, because I think that 2000, like from 2002 to 2000, I don't know, Five or six, seven, like before Bama was like above average and on actually, actually on, yeah, actually on CBS games consistently. I don't remember if if there were a lot of primetime games. So th- th- it just felt like when you rewatched it and looking at like like the opening with Vern and Gary, you know, it almost felt like like there was like a it was still a novelty. Like there was still this like new you know, this shine on the oh, Death Valley at night. Like what an experience! It's like now now we see that every year. Um, but it was it was it was seemed pretty cool. One of, we'll get to this. Uh, so what, my favorite line of the broadcast, I'll just say it right now. When Vern yeah. Vern opens with LSU football on a Saturday night, there's nothing quite like it in all of college football. Just the perfect set the scene atmosphere where they do yeah. the, they do the crowd shots and the place is just going absolutely <laughs> bananas. Like Death Valley at night. If you want a perfect example of it. This game, everybody was ready to go, and the Tebow stuff coming in definitely played a factor. This wasn't just your typical yeah. Florida team. Is the fact that it's the defending national champions. It's Tebow, who is just growing more and more popular, and his legend is growing by the week. This, of course, being his Heisman season. Let's let's get into the Tebow talk, because he's already... Hold on. I, w- I do want to say the one thing. Oh, we got sirens, baby. It's about to be oh, a good episode. Let's go. Let's go. Um, no, I, so I do want to say the thing about Death Valley, and, and I'm not saying this in a rude way. I think, I think that just maybe... Specifically, like for me, like as a Bama fan, and like that game, the Bama LSU game at night is it, that's that's been the same for like eight straight years, mm-hmm. right? Um, and so, like, I'm used to, to that narrative being, you know, brought up and the whole thing about like like Death Valley at night. I really, do, I feel like this was like one of the first times that with that with a national broadcast, it was on display. And what was cool about this is it, this is a great rivalry. Like when people talk about the cross divisional rivalries, and, and this one's almost always brought up, like we have to play Florida every year, we have to play LSU. That sucks. But as a fan, please don't ever change this because I love this game. And they're talking about how like we think of LSU as such a dominant program now. They bring up the point: this is the first time in you know, decades, they were ranked number one. First time since Go- 1959. Right, which is when they won, uh, when Billy Cannon won the Heisman. So it's like, this is, this is it's a massive stretch. You think about LSU history, and and people forget about how kind of like average that, that program was. But like, it's also 10 years since the last time they played this rivalry in uh, in Baton Rouge. You just took and, all of my, I forgot about oh. this notes. That was all oh my people right there. <laughs> no, so like, I, remember, so I remember those things. Like, because because the 97 game was when Florida was coming off the national championship. They had the number one team in the country, and then they get they get upset. And it was like, I just remember Steve Story being like, what in the hell just happened? Because LSU wasn't good. They had Kevin Falk, and that was it. And Cecil Diesel. Anyway. 
Sorry for ruining the broadcast. <laughs> Let's start with our A-listers. Um, the, the biggest A-lister in college football in the 21st century, Tim Tebow. His first year as a starter, he obviously goes on to win the Heisman this year. And, you know, I, just looking back and watching some of the plays that he made, that he makes in this game, because his passing numbers are not that great. He was like 12 of 26. He threw for a couple scores, but just not the most efficient day. Had like 67 yards rushing, whatever it was. There are some great Tebow moments in this game. So, uh, by the way, third and one with Tebow is an automatic. They should just move the chains. Connor, they ran the damn. They were in the same damn play for four years. Doesn't matter. The only team that ever stopped it was Ole Miss in 2008 when they when they they uh, they beat him in that that early game. Tebow has that first touchdown pass, and afterwards, there's the CBS cameras <laughs> catch him. And it looks like he's putting no, like he's he's like pushing buttons on his hand and then he right. goes up to like hold hold his 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 hand up to his ear like he's holding a cell phone. Gary Danielson has no idea what's going has on. No what's like, has no clue. Has no concept idea. of what, like that was the, that was the best part of the episode. He what did he say? He's uh he's like oh he's like letting the LSU fans know that he's here. Like he's right on paper or something like <laughs> yeah. that. And it's like no 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 that's not what happened. So what happened was and Tebow has since told this story. Yeah. LSU fans got a hold of his cell phone number. And they oh, yeah. called him 24-7, round the clock that week. And Tebow, thankfully for him, he had just gotten a, like, in the previous Christmas, he got a Razor phone. Like, his his brother bought him a Razor phone right. for Christmas. So that was the first phone where you could really see the number on the outside of it and screen calls to be able right. to not answer them. So all that week, Tebow was just getting calls nonstop from LSU yeah. fans. And they're, like, giving him death threats, and they're doing, you know, everything you could possibly do. And so Tebow is obviously playing up to that. And he's obviously, like, saying something along the lines of, like, hey, give me a call now, like, something like yeah. that. Tebow doesn't troll. He did the gator chomp after the national championship touchdown to seal it against Oklahoma. This was out of character. This was very un-Tebow-like to do this, but I can imagine after his phone had been ringing the entire so, week. So, LSU fans were notorious for this. Oh, they, did yeah. this to, they did this to No Sean Moreno. They did this to John Parker Wilson. They did this to, to several players in these big games, and every single one of them did this, like the whole, you know, mm-hmm. like, like call me, like phone call. And the worst one ever was John Parker Wilson. I was like, just, just... Dude, go to the sidelines. It's not cool when you do it. It's cool when Noshan does it. It's cool when Tebow does it. Please stop, John Parker Wilson. Uh, but no, the, so the funny part about this was, even on the replay, and you have it in the notes, LSU fans who are just, again, some of my favorite people in the world, because <laughs> I feel like they're the most like me, and that's not a, necessarily a compliment. It's just accurate. And they start in with the F-U Tebow. Wow. Which can, you, can you imagine now, nowadays, anyone in the world... <laughs> Joining in that chant, oh, and, and so and it was, times. and he he kind of like he kind of it was kind of warranted for what he was doing, like trying to be all brash, and, and even Vern says he's not he's not very brash a lot of times, but when they were doing this, it was funny because there's an awkward moment where where the CBS like where like the where Vern and, and Gary get quiet when oh, they're yeah. kicking the extra point, and you can clearly hear him say it twice in a row, like the the chant. And then for some reason, I don't know what, if it was like the audio levels, they were trying to turn them down, and they accidentally turned them up, it gets louder. And yep. it's just clear as day, like, F you, Tebow. And then they're like, they're on for the extra point. I was like, <laughs> what do you do when that when that's, it's so loud? I mean, there's there's really nothing you can do to avoid that. I, I think stuff like that is great for college football. Like, I, I know that probably sounds bad, but I mean, like, you know, you don't want to condone it if you're, if you're on air, but like, man, it's... 
Like that, it's a funny, memorable thing that we're even talking about now, twelve years later. Yeah, no, it was it was a classic moment in that game, and I'm glad I'm glad that there were they didn't like cut to commercial right away or do something where they could mute the crowd or whatever it was because it was such yeah. a a real moment that it, early on in that game that really spoke to how competitive it was and how heated you could just tell on both sides. This game, I mean, as cliche as it is, it just meant a little bit more in those I, moments. Yeah. I can't believe that. You know, maybe they didn't cut the audio out because they just kind of assumed that God was going to like send a, like a lightning bolt down to, to that entire section because that is and you know it was it was I'm glad they they got the last laugh but like man y'all when you get to the pearly gates you oh. know the first things will be brought up. Heads up. Remember man. what you said in Death Valley boy. Tebow's favorite target um I developing into his favorite target wasn't as prevalent in this game and maybe that's why they had some of the struggles that they did down the stretch. Percy Harvin Percy Harvin was, rarely do we say this about somebody in college football, but he just felt like his own breed. Somebody who was yeah. different in so many ways. This guy who was just the, the, the perfect sort of H-back fit in Urban Meyer's system to be able to run, to be able to catch passes. You leave him open in the slot. You try and put, oh, watching so watching Dan Mullen scheme ways to put Percy Harvin on linebackers was just that- unfair. That when Gary Jensen broke down at one point in like the first or second quarter, he breaks down. They're, they're talking about Percy Harvin, and again, this is like, I guess this is again back before this became such a thing, and you and you kind of forget about it. But it's like th- at this time, everyone's like, "Dude, he runs a four five. Dude, he benches four hundred pounds." And then that doesn't that's kind of stuff isn't as cool anymore because it's like, dude, you have guys that are running four three, four two. Like, right. So he's talking about Harvin running. He's like, dude, the difference in a four three and a four five forty. And he's showing, it's like, it's one point, they're breaking down this whole, like, <laughs> science of it. And it, I was shocked. I was absolutely shocked to see how little he was using this game. Because there's, there's simple plays, like, where they, they he's out wide, and they bring him in motion and put him in the backfield, and he'll start, like, a counter and just go, like, he'll, like, he'll start left and, and do a counter and just go right back outside to, the like, like the right-hand side of the field, like the right hash, and still faster than everybody on the field. Still gets to the corner. I, I don't. It was incredible. He had more carries this year to, in 2007 than catches. He had 83 carries, 59 catches, but he had, he had more th- more receiving yards: 858 receiving yards and 764 rushing yards. 1600 yards from scrimmage, 10 TDs. Just an unbelievable player that was so fun to watch. How do you only get him seven touches in this game? That's it's, so. I just gave Dan Mullen credit, but that's that's yeah. something that comes back to him a little bit. Um, Another star in this game, we're going to talk more of Percy Harvin later, even though his role in, in this game didn't necessarily warrant a ton of attention. But how about Brandon Spikes? So you didn't get the sense from watching the broadcast that he was this big-time star yet. He had a huge year in 2007, 131 yeah. tackles, 16 TFLs, and he was clearly like the dude on the Florida defense. But you didn't get the sense necessarily early on from watching this game because of probably all the te- attention that was on Glenn Dorsey on, in the LSU defense. Yeah. And he was kind of the main guy that was talked about. But Brandon Spike still uh, just a problem to deal with. I don't know if you remember like those old NCAA video games, but Brandon Spikes was just unfair when you just you could just. No, but I remember him outside. playing real football. <laughs> well, I mean, like that's those are my like some of my memories yeah. of him. I'm like, just give me Brandon Spikes on defense, and I'll just take well, the quarterback every time. When he was recruited too, like, and that's one thing we'll talk about, like some of like the rosters and stuff like that. We talk about the cast, like the, I, I remember these recruiting classes from Florida specifically because LSU most of their guys were like early Deuce Set was on the team who was like one of the top players in the country. But out in this game, 
Right. Ryan Perilou, um Oh yeah. I'm trying to think, like, like th- there's just a lot of big. Na- Terrence Tolliver was a was a five star. You you had talent all over the field that were like I'm like Keelan Keelan Williams, um, but just a lot of like guys for for LSU. But they were kind of coming off, especially when you talk about like the what do you call it, um, early Doucette and Ryan Perilou. They were kind of like in the later half or latter half of their career. Florida's team had just come off the number one recruiting class the year before and the number two recruiting class before that with eight five stars and it's it's starting the, the the first part of these like super classes that they were signing with and you know Tebow and Brandon Spikes both five stars and you have like your alpha on offense your alpha on defense and and that was like a big deal coming in there and it was <laughs> he wasn't like he wasn't a star yet but I me- I remember like if you were around Florida fans like there was so much hype around both of those guys oh absolutely so. We've got two stars on LSU. First, let's do Glenn Dorsey because, as we just talked about, he was the guy in the broadcast. This matchup was billed as this, like, almost like a Dorsey versus Tebow moment. Yes. At very different stages of their career because Dorsey was going to become a top five pick in the draft after this season, but he was the consensus, like, all right, this dude's an All-American. He's going to be special at the next level. Um, He went fifth overall in 2008. But he didn't quite have the NFL career that I thought he would. Admittedly, Glenn like, Dorsey is the Trent he Richardson. He, That's he, he's he's the no, he is the greatest. He's he's a he's a in the last twenty five years he's one of the best SEC football players to to ever play in the last twenty five years. He's a, he's a generational type guy in the conference and. I don't know what happened in the NFL, but he's one of the most dominant players I've ever seen on defense. Yeah, only seven career sacks in the NFL. Yeah. He played eight seasons, too, but dealt with some injuries later on in his career. It just, it just never quite worked out. He, right. I think he got, he got changed scheme-wise like right after he got to Kansas City. Yeah, he did. And he moved from tackle to end. It just Things just didn't quite go his way. And right. It was surprising because the way he was talked about in this game, we're like, oh, my gosh, this guy's going to be like the next the next dominant defensive tackle in the NFL, and he's going to make 10 Pro Bowls. Well, the way he – it's, it's not just the way they talked about it either because it, it is the way he played. Like this, this oh, season yeah. – like. I, I mean, I remember watching as like this whole like, LSU was on the CBS three thirty game every single week, like just every single week, and he was dominant from the start of the year to the finish of the year. It was it was incredible. Even for people in the Midwest who didn't follow college football that much, they <laughs> knew yeah. Glenn Dorsey. They knew Glenn. Dorsey. I cannot believe this next person is listed as the star. Okay, so let's get to our guy, Jacob Hester, because he was in a starring role in this game. He was in yeah. a starring role in this season. Had had a thousand yard season, twelve touchdowns. So there are some great great things that came out of this. Um, so Gary Danielson brings up the white running back stereotype. I don't know if he, he, can say he that. said it. He, he said literally it. said it. He, he said goes, goes, you know, he's a white guy, and it was like, oh yes, say it, Gary. And he, uh, I don't know if you could get away if Gary could get away with that in 2019. Absolutely not. But no. I picked up on that. Uh, Peter would call. So then he backed up. He's like, but he's not the white, the, the the white stereotype or whatever because he benches 430. He runs a 45. And then they were talking about because like his his wife was in the stands and they were talking about oh he might be old but he's not slow. It's like yeah. Come on, man, you can't say that. He benches 430 and runs a 45. So he's not. I mean, that, yeah, he's he. That was awesome. I, now I will say part of this game reminded me of. And I, I don't want this to come off as like political or, or more than any kind of like I don't want I don't want it to come off as like more than anything than just what I'm saying right now. Okay, there's like not Are a lot you of about to be this. racist. Yeah, I am. Oh, I'm going to say that as as as, a fa- as college football fans or people in general seem, and, and maybe it's just the way the TV broadcast says it, but like they seem to gravitate more towards making a star out of average to above average guys 
that if they're white, like we, it's because it's I don't know why, but like, yeah, I remember like Tim Tebow was not the best player on this team. Like Percy Harvin shouldn't have gotten seven touches, but like all you heard about the entire year was people like Hester and Tebow, and it's like, I I don't, it was it was cool, but I remember how like, like it became almost like ad nauseum at the end of the year of like, oh my god, there's no way this guy is better than, you know, this person, this person, this person on his own team. So, That's what I'm saying. Okay, so some personal bias that needs to be thrown out there. I love Jacob Hester. He's been like extremely good to us. Yeah. He's, like I so right before we were doing this, I, I sent him I sent him a text. I'm like, hey, give me this is a sick brag. Give me some nuggets here. Give me some good nuggets for stuff that happened in this game. Yeah. And because watching it during it, you're like, early on, you're kind of like, all right, you know, they, they've got a, they've got a crowded backfield. You know, they they, they really. They use Hester, but he's he's a feature back, but not like a Leonard Fournette type type player. Obviously, right. nobody's saying that. But as the game go, goes on, you realize just why he's so good and why he's got oh, to yeah. this point in his career. Because all of these runs where he's just like falling forward, and my my respect for him watching this game grew so much because of how much Les Miles trusted him in these fourth and one situations, which they were in constantly. Les Miles goes constantly. five for five on fourth and one, including. The second effort that he had on fourth and one, when they're down 24-21, seven minutes left in the game, yeah. and he needed the second effort. He got hit in the backfield, and oh. somehow he gets a first down. I'm, and I'm not saying that, that Hester wasn't a great back. He had a, he was a good back, and he, he had a great season that year. I'm just saying that the wow, the, like the, the Vern Lundquist, wow, that whole thing, I, it was it's overused for players that are are like. In this, this I, setting, I could understand that. <laughs> that's, that's what I'm saying. The the first down that he picks up with two minutes left on fourth and one, where they didn't even kick a field goal, they're, because uh, they're like, you know what, our kicker is is horrible. It was a Bama like move to go for it in that spot. Okay, first off, I, no, it was not. It was not a Bama like move. Well, we the Bama, we would they, they had the bad kicking, so they're like, okay, we got to avoid that at all costs. Let's move into the director's part here, because because it's the next part of like. Wait, I got, I got two. I got nuggets that I want to share about. Oh, yeah, go ahead, go about ahead. Hester. So. The game-winning touchdown that he scores, spoiler alert, Jacob Hester scores the game-winning touchdown, and, he, and he's laying on the ground there. He's laying on the ground in this, like, perfect <laughs> scene that kind of, that just kind of captures the moment. What a dogfight this game really was. Yeah. So Hester told me that, because I, I texted him, I'm like, you were definitely concussed with that. There's no doubt in my mind, because they show him on the bench afterwards, and he has the helmet off, and he's like, kind of looks like he's in a little bit of a daze. He said that they faked it, that he faked an injury. Because there was an equipment issue, and he just laid on the ground, but they didn't want to burn the timeout because it's the last, you know, ninety seconds of the game, whatever it was, and they they just basically told him like, hey, just like continue to lay on the ground. We're gonna milk this. This is an injury. We're gonna make it look like this. He doesn't. He walks off like he's trying to shake the cobwebs out a little bit, but he sells it really well. So I get. It I looks like he had credit. no idea where he was. No and, idea. It, it, but you're at this time in football where, like, I remember growing up around this, and my dad and grandpa always saying stuff like. Oh, he got his bail wrong. Like, no, he is in trouble, guys. Like, <laughs> that is a concussion. And that that's what I thought was going on. Like, man, he, he got stinger. his bail wrong. Yeah, oh, that stink. That was the worst. Great. Little, like, pinch neck or uh, nerve in your neck. Yeah, that, that was incredible to watch. So, um, the other thing that uh, – well, two other things that Hester said. So, one, um, apparently before that play, Matt Flynn comes into the huddle. The, the game-winning touchdown that Hester scored – Matt Flynn comes into the huddle and says, you know what the play is, line up and put the ball in the end zone. Hester said that that was That's the cool. only time that that happened in his career like that. And yeah. so for Flynn to say something like that, 
what really just obviously kind of speaks to how important that that whole drive was. And so that like Hester obviously, you know, like, looked like he was shot out of a cannon on that run. I mean, really. So like, he did straight up the he, middle. And, and like in this whole drive, like, again, uh, we'll get to part of this later. It's a it's a fifteen play drive, epic drive, eight over eight and a half minutes, like to end the game. And and one thing that I I, I was I was you you look at this game, it's like twenty eight twenty four. It's like a pretty high scoring game, kind of, and like you, you felt like there was more offense. And then I remember mm-hmm. watching it, and I and I was I remembered how awful it was to watch an LSU offense under Les Miles. Oh, and yeah. it was like and you and you would, and honestly. Florida didn't look that great on offense, like especially on their stats in the second half, especially. But like LSU had three different touchdown drives of 15 plays or more, just eating up clock. But it's all like this three yards and a cloud of dust thing. And and it, he did. He looked like he was shot out of a cannon. Before we before we move on to the directors, because we'll 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 hit on less miles here. Uh, Brandon Spikes, uh, Hester told me that Brandon Spikes throughout the entire game called him Vanilla Ice. <laughs> <laughs> Which I think Gary Danielson would appreciate. Um, just yeah, uh, white stereotypes there. But yeah, fun little nuggets from from Hester. So thank shout out to, to Hester for 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 giving us uh, some insight on a game that really I mean such a like if you could define if you could go back on your career and look at one game like that that game just had to mean so much for a kid who grew up in Shreveport, your favorite oh, yeah. place in the world, and how much that meant to him. All right, agreed. Let's talk less. The directors are very, very well known in the SEC. There's not a whole lot of new context we could really add to Les and Urban, two guys who are just such a big part of this conference. But Les is coming off of two 11-win seasons to start the post-Saban era at LSU. I don't know how. Two BCS wins. I mean, and is coaching the number one team in the country. And um, there, there's just there's a lot of interesting dynamics that are at play here when we're talking about 2007 less. I forgot how bad of a coach Les Miles was. That was and your I'm just going to go ahead said. and say it. That yeah. is, I, I and I'm not, I'm not trying to like not give him credit because I'm yeah he won a national championship. I remember jokingly and and very like in a very biased way saying 2007 he won a national championship with Saban's players because it was 2007. I kind of still believe that because of watching him manage this game and and manage that whole season. They lost the next week. They lost the next week at Kentucky. A Kentucky it, team that was in the top 25 but still yeah, a bad loss. Yeah. yeah. So and and, and and but so and to be fair, like that's hard to go back to back on an emotional game like that. Like the same thing happened in 2012 uh, when Bama lost to A&M. They had had a dramatic win in Death Valley the week before, lost to Johnny Mandela the next week. So that that's not why I don't think he's a great coach. The way he managed this game, and we it's like legendary. He's like, oh, he went for it on fourth down, five for five. He shouldn't have done that at all. Like it was not the best move. And and I know that sounds dumb because well, it worked out. They won. So the week before, I want to say, and and I've told you this story before, and I don't know if you remember me saying it, but when when they played Auburn, I'm sorry, it was the week after the Kentucky game. They played Auburn. All right. This is just a little insight into and how Les Miles' mind works. They're playing Auburn. They get the ball with three minutes and 13 seconds to go. It's a tie game. They drive down the field. They get down to the 22-yard line with 19 seconds left, and the clock is running. They're on the 22-yard line. They have Colt David, who was the Hunter Renfro of kickers, and he was there for 13 years, is good enough to hit a game-winning field goal. Instead, they run a pass play to the end zone, and they hit Demetrius Bird in the back of the end zone, 
and and it's like caught with like one second to go on the clock. But if he drops that ball or bobbles it or something like that, because like the guy's right on him, that you go to overtime and you don't you don't win the game. Like you could have just won the game. And after the afterwards they asked me, he goes, "Oh, we had plenty of time." No, you didn't. And he said, "Well, we just wanted to kick their ass." That was his actual reaction <laughs> instead of winning a football game. And it was it was weird to me because it's like there's there is something to be said about being gutsy and about the bravado and believing in your team being able to get one yard. But there's also something to be said to going out there and making the decisions to put your team in the best position to actually win a game. And he routinely didn't do that this game. But I think the takeaway from watching this game is less just outcoached Urban. And less, less no, is, we did not. <laughs> but I think that's that because when you go for when you when you get the five of five on fourth down, and you're you're watching the way that this game finished, and the fact that like this team, I think you would look at this LSU team on paper and say, well, we know what Florida became, and Florida was still so young, but you would still probably look at that Florida team and go, they are the more talented team. They should be able to beat LSU on a given day, and when Florida's ahead like that. The fact that LSU was able to rally back. That, I'm not saying that that's necessarily fair and that's like, oh, that's all on Les Miles. He deserves 100% of the credit. But that's the yeah. way these things often get spun. So as, as somebody that watched this like this season unfold and this game, I, I still have the mindset even now. Like, yeah, Florida became more talented. But, like, no, LSU was the more talented team. I know early Lucette wasn't on the field. When you have Terrence Tolliver and you have Ryan Paraloo and you have – you know, Keelan Williams and Jacob Hester, and that offensive line, and that, and that, that, the defense especially. So they had seven all, they had seven first team All SEC players that year. They had seven guys drafted on the team. LSU was a more talented team. What I'm saying specifically is, Urban outcoached him in this game, and and, it, and this is not even about the fourth down things. This is stuff like, with ten minutes to go in the in the fourth quarter, when Brandon James seemingly steps out of bounds, you're down ten points. Right? That review or was took it forever, by the way. That review did take forever. Uh, maybe they were down only three points, but he 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 challenges where he stepped out of bounds, and they were going over it. And it's like it's not it's not a turnover. It's not um, you know is it a first down or it's not something that had a huge impact on on where the how the game would play out. He might have stepped out of bounds inside the twenty or inside the twenty five. It was a difference of nine yards, and he was risking his final timeout. Which, by the way. He only had one timeout left in the second half of this game with 10 minutes to go in the fourth quarter. Like, it, it was, sure, he's he's a riverboat gambler, but it was so stupid. It's so dumb. Urban in this game, when you see him at first, um, I, I want to talk about the, the pregame interview that he did with Tracy Wolfson. It is oh, man. classic Urban So Meyer. peak. So Urban looks about 30 years younger in this. I yeah. think that's fair to say. I mean, looks way, way younger, just not even close. So he, before the game, Tracy Wolfson doesn't want to talk about, oh, you know, what's that stake blah, blah, blah. Literally, like, they're running onto the field. All this is going down. The backstory is Tony Joyner, who is a, a senior captain for Florida, defensive back, that week, that Tuesday night, he was arrested at a tow truck place. At 5 a.m. The charges were, were dropped that week, but apparently what he was accused of was pushing open an electric gate to yep. get his girlfriend's car out, and he got his girlfriend's car out, but then somebody saw him doing it, so he apparently put the car back. I don't know. But basically, so this is a senior captain that's doing this. So Tracy asks Urban if he'll play, and Urban says, Tony, With- Tony will play tonight. And then... Tracy, didn't hesitate. Yeah, didn't hesitate. So Tracy asked the follow-up, will he start? Urban says, 
I don't believe he'll start, but he'll get in pretty soon. Guess what series he played on? Second. <laughs> the second series. Of Dude, Urban Meyer is such a. Oh, I, God. I, he's just such like a. When it comes when it comes to like the discipline part of it, it's just such a trash bag mentality of, of the stuff they did. And I don't like I know it probably sounds like 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 too much, but it, this it's funny that you get to see this in this game because I'm not exaggerating when I say this is a consistent, consistent pregame interview, a consistent. Oh, yeah like pregame storyline during his especially in the first four years of his career and it, it just it was a joke like I mean so in the first four years of him of him coaching there he had 26 arrests from his players and it was stuff like this where it's like why first off why are you out at 5 a.m on a Tuesday night like before like what's arguably the biggest game of your season after coming off a loss like and then he, he then he comes <laughs> like he he had, what was it? he had 26 people arrested and it was it was for stuff like not just drunk and disorderly, but you know, one of his players got arrested for uh, credit card fraud because he was using the credit card of a of a deceased girlfriend uh, of a, of a, one of his teammates. Like one like one of his teammates had a, a girlfriend who passed away, and he was using her credit card to buy gas for his car. And move. and those kind of kids were like, dude, just kick him out of kick him off the team. Like, how do you how do you allow this to happen? So yeah, I was not surprised. <laughs> I don't know who Tony Joyner was. I, but I was not surprised. Like, oh yeah, he's gonna play. Basically, just like all the the fu, the middle finger to any kind of like you know authority or, or morals and stuff like that that we we know about him now was in full display. I, I just love that Urban said, "I don't believe he'll start." Like, <laughs> you don't know. Okay, all right. Thanks, Urban. Thanks for telling the truth. Uh, really appreciate that. We're way to keep your secrets tied down. We're gonna. Oh, find and out by in the way, seconds. your defensive backfield, you have you're loaded with talent. Joe so Hayden. I mean, yeah. I know he's a senior, but like, come on. Yeah. Um, one last thing on the directors. that We usually don't talk about coordinators as much in this game. Oh, no, we need to, though. What a great matchup. Bo Pelini's defense against Dan Mullen's offense. Bo Pelini yeah. was, in, was in great rare form in this game. There was a moment where uh, there was that hit on the sideline. Um, Ali Highsmith hit Tebow late. That was bad. It was a dumb, dumb hit, but he hit it. Well, he hit him low. He, he hit him low as Tebow was going out of bounds. Just, like, easy flag, like, Two flags were thrown right there on the sideline, but it was on the LSU sideline. And Les and Bo Pelini just go absolutely nuts. <laughs> I mean, I thought Bo was gonna was gonna hit the ref. I, like, and and I'm wondering, I'm like, what in the world are they doing? This is the most obvious thing ever. How did, how are they arguing yeah. this so much? It was a and they were play. on both sides of the official. Like that, that is surrounding most him. Bo Pelini, like, there's people that get mad. And and you're scared of because they they look like they're gonna hit you or they're gonna they're yelling at you and and they're they're intimidating. Bo Pelini is scary because he looks like the kind of person that's like, what's the what's what's something I can I could grab in here? Oh, there's a toothpick. I'm gonna kill you with this toothpick. Yeah, like like he he's like he would just pick. He he doesn't seem sane, is what I'm saying. But you know what's what was not talked about at all was the fact that and I saw it just from looking at the sidelines. We always talk about this Saban coaching tree and you know, this 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 guy this guy this guy you know are all head coaches now. On that sideline under Urban Meyer, you had Steve Adazio, uh, who was who became or still is the head coach of Boston College. You had Charlie Strong. You had Dan Mullen. You had Bo Pelini. Man, unbelievable, unbelievable star power. I, I mean, and, and it makes sense because those those coaches were part of national championship teams. That's the way that you, that usually works. Bo Pelini yeah. ends up getting the the Nebraska job later on because of what he did as as the coordinator, which I I spent a few years. Um, a few years covering Bo Pelini at Nebraska while while I was out there, and let me tell you, a post game Bo Pelini press conference is a treat, especially after a I'm loss. Sure. Oh, especially after a loss, they are 
all sorts of fun. And so, like, you could see the early stages of him just being this berserk guy. Dan Mullen, I don't think, got a single second of FaceTime, though, which was kind of weird. Did he, he did for a minute. They, yeah, they, they put it up there um, on the screen or whatever. Like, it, 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 it was right right around that exact time, like, during, like, the, the play, I think, on the sideline, or the late hit, because they, they mentioned... He was a tight end at whatever school he went to. Right. It, but it was like it was like that most dismissive, like, this guy's not important. We'll never hear about him again. Which <laughs> like, is kind of weird because looking back, I actually give Mullen more credit than than Urban for some of this stuff. I understand Urban had yeah. more of a hands-on approach in this offense. But I think kind of looking back, we're like, Dan, Dan Mullen knew what he was doing. There's a, I don't think it's a coincidence that Florida – kind of became what it was in 2010 in that final year of Urban where he just underachieves where Mullen's off at Mississippi State. I'm not saying it's hey, just because of that. It sounds like that's what you're saying. No, that's not what I'm saying. <laughs> Trust me, that's not what I'm saying. But I think Mullen was, that's my way of saying, it. I think Mullen was a bigger part of this than what we were able to kind of grasp from yeah, watching a game like this. I agree with that. But I, and I, I want to go back to the first thing we said before getting into the segment or this this part of the, the show. Um, you could not be more wrong about Urban Meyer being outcoached by Les Miles. All right, fair enough. I, I I think that's the way though that you would look at this. That that's just the way that 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 it's it's construed when you're talking about a team that comes back and rallies after being down ten. Yeah. You know, in the fourth quarter, whatever. All right, the breakout performers. Not a ton in this game necessarily, but a guy that we've talked about already, Matt Flynn. So Matt what? Flynn comes into this game as the fifth year senior. So that's atypical for what we're talking about with it, with a breakout star. But he has this ankle injury, and they're like, hey, Ryan Paralu's going to play in this game as well. Matt Flynn had to Good. sit behind Jamarcus Russell, of course, you know, and he watches Russell just turn into this, this star at, at LSU. And so the interesting thing about Flynn, and, and he had bad moments this game, like real bad moments. First pass he threw was an interception to Joe Hayden, who is another breakout star as well, who was just a freshman at the yeah, time. Yeah, he killed it. Yeah, and the first... I mean, the, the, so the first play, you're like, oh, gosh, this is going to be this is going to be really rough. But, you know, I, I, there were just some special moments that Flynn had in this game where, you know, he had the, the fake field goal early in the third third quarter where they're down 10 and they just badly need some sort of momentum to get going. And it was very reminiscent. Not the exact same thing because this fake field goal Flynn runs for and picks up the first down as opposed to a couple weeks ago at South Carolina where he pulls off one of the best fake field goals in the history of college yeah. football where he does, you know, because Matt Flynn's the holder and he does the little toss back over his shoulder to the kicker. Yeah. So, so incredible. <clears throat> so, like, he has these little moments like this and then obviously he's leading the drive at the end there and they really rely on him to be able to pick up um, a lot of these first downs, he and Jacob Hester. So, yeah, Flynn, I, I'd consider Flynn a, a breakout star in this game. Uh, okay, I would not only because of you. You tell me if this sounds like an LSU quarterback. Fourteen of twenty-seven, oh, one hundred and forty-four yeah. yards, oh, yeah. one touchdown, one interception. Man, meet the new boss, same as the old boss, because that is like that is one takeaway I had from this. Is like I could I easily see the national narrative and frustration with how average I wouldn't say bad, but average SEC quarterback play. Oh yeah, uh, can be because I mean Tebow was twelve of twenty six. Like I, I thought he he threw a better ball, but it was still like ooh. Um, so I wouldn't say he was a breakout performer for me. Like I, I remember a lot of the season, like people like LSU fans loved Matt Flynn because he won him a national championship. Mm-hmm. But there was there was a like this kind of wanting of like, all right, when's Ryan Perilou gonna be ready? Like when when is this dude like gonna take over? Because he's it's not just what he said about himself, and we'll get to that in get later. That. The oh, coldest yeah. take. But like he was a massive recruit, 
that you kind of thought was going to take over immediately for for when when Jamarcus Russell left, and and you know he he was able to win them an SEC championship game when when Flynn was out, but I wouldn't say Flynn was necessarily the uh, <laughs> the breakout star. I, I think guys like. Um, like Percy Harvin, I thought you started to see like the glimpses of how great he, how he, or how great he was, and how much he could take over a football game or impact a game. Uh, I would say him, and then guys like I wouldn't say Brandon LaFell because he he had so, so many drops. He had so, so many. I think many he had more drops. drops than catches. Nothing changed. Brandon LaFell is still dropping passes somewhere. Yeah, I, but I would say like guys like uh, I thought Perilou was was a pretty big impact, but like guys like Demetrius Bird. Um, I thought that was that was a he didn't have like from a, like a statistical standpoint, but him and Terrence Tolliver being young um, and, and kind of being able to carry a little bit more of that passing game uh, for LSU was was pretty pretty important. Real quick before we uh, let's to put a bow on on Flynn, the LSU runs the two quarterback system in this game, and Gary Danielson keeps calling it modern football, and he's calling it that, so which stupid. is weird, so strange looking back on it. He's calling it that because obviously Florida won a national championship with Chris Leak and Tim Tebow using this two quarterback system, and so it looks like LSU is just part of this this wave of the future type deal with having Ryan Perlou and Matt Flynn in this game, and they keep you know he keeps rotating them in, and he's pretty much using Ryan Perlou in the Tebow like role when they get in the red zone, and it's mostly in, in running situations, but. It's so weird looking back and hearing Danielson keep saying, I think he says modern football five or six times in this game, and you're like, wait a minute, this was actually more the exception than the rule. Florida had a very yeah. special situation, but just just strange to look back and think that that was once thought of as like modern thinking. There were there were, there was one moment I have it in my coldest takes, but if we could, we'll just bring it up now, where I remember this happening, and and there was like. It, it was so stupid, and it happened consistently where you had these, like, crazy, crazy formations from coaches, and, and they'd be like, oh, this is what football's going to be now. Yep. Man. And so there's there's a there's a play in the second quarter where Tim Tebow <laughs> lines up. And, like, so, and, like, Gus Malzahn does, did this a lot, especially before he became a head coach. And I, and there was, like, nothing as, like, a fan that doesn't understand these, these kind of offenses, and I think they're kind of gimmicky and stupid likes more than when they're stopped <laughs> like when they when they don't work you know what i mean and so they line up and there's one offensive lineman in front of tebow tebow's in the shotgun they're all four other offensive linemen are as far out as they can be to the right hash of the field and there's like oh yeah a receiver in the slot right, right. a receiver where the right guard should be or right tackle should be and then there's like a tight end and another receiver on the far left hash and and it's like what and vernon goes wow look at this and it was like like you expected to see just magic, just absolute magic happen. And LSU stays in their base defense, and Glenn Dorsey runs right at him, and they sack Tebow for a seven yard loss. It's like, yeah, dumbass. Like, why are you having? Why are you having all four of your guards in fr- that are should be in front of one of the most ridiculously talented defensive lines with Glenn Dorsey, Ricky Jean Francois, who was out for this game. But like those type of guys. And then putting him as far away from him as possible. You know what? If Glenn Dorsey is 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 four yards from me, maybe put one guy in front of him. Maybe it, two. it was yeah. He gets sacked for a seven yard loss. And I was like, this is. And you know what's funny too is the most effective play that LSU was able to run, and of course, typical in LSU offense under Les Miles was was a like a thirty two plunge off like left guard, and yep. then also also the the option the like the, they ran course. the option. Yeah, the throwback option with with Ryan Perlou that was that was magic. Um, Imagine having all that talent on Florida's offense and having Percy Harvin and Tim Tebow in the backfield, and then doing stupid crap like QB draw, QB draw, QB draw. Hey, we're gonna spread out eighty seven offensive linemen over the field, and then do an oopty doop route. 
Yeah, that didn't work out so well. Um, so you, you you bring up Dorsey. Dorsey actually in this game was was relatively quiet, and that was a credit yeah. to another breakout star. Yeah, I thought Marquise Pouncey played really really well. He's a freshman, a freshman starting at right guard and dealing with Glenn Dorsey, one of the biggest forces that we've seen at the position in the 21st century. And my goodness, I mean, they, they Gary Danielson said with like my three or four goodness. minutes left, he's like, it's like where like where has he been? Like where is where's Glenn Dorsey been this entire time? And it's because Pouncey actually played really well and handled himself, and that was. You know, keep an eye on, on Marquise Pouncey on Mark or what, what, whatever his name is. Keep an eye on on Pouncey. He's a true freshman. That's what he says at the start of the mm-hmm. game. And it was like, I, first off, I've never felt more old. Uh, oh gosh, yeah. And watching that, because I was like, oh my god, he was a ooh, he was a freshman. Um, yeah, and then Joe Hayden who doesn't even have like the same number that he ended up wearing like the rest of his career. That was that was crazy. But yeah, that that was a. That, I would say he's definitely a breakout star in this game. Yeah, and then I put Joe Hayden in here just because not only did he make that yes. pick, but he had the two huge tackles that forced those fourth downs where he's blowing up plays in the backfield, and you're like, oh my gosh, who who is this guy? This is a cornerback making plays like this that looks like he's like a safety coming in from center field, and he's making big time plays in the backfield. That was that was a good well, sign. Well, the third down, the third down stop he had on right. inside their own 10 yard line on Hester that, and that's something especially with the narrative that gets brought up with a tough back like Hester who's who's fallen forward every time that's something that's a, a fresh a freshman cornerback I don't I don't know how big he was but I know he wasn't as big as he was as a senior or now as a you know one of the better cornerbacks in the NFL but yeah man he could bring the wood man he like he whew, he was a very good tackler okay so the prominent extra or did you have any more breakout stars no, but I have about 87 prominent extras. Oh I'll let you start. The, the prominent extras in this game, every, everybody knows who they are. I, I only I listed three because you could probably list about 30 in this game. The let Aaron Hernandez, Riley Cooper, everybody kind of knows. Those those guys are in very, very quiet roles. You see Aaron Hernandez on screen, but he had he was still just a, a freshman at the time, and he was, you know, very limited in this offense, had 151 receiving yards this season. He's just touchdowns. hanging out in the background. Just kind of chilling there. He's around, but he's not. <laughs> That, that is like the the peak example of a prominent extra. Riley Cooper, yeah, kind of the same thing. He's got his his flow, and he's only a sophomore. He's not really a big factor in the offense. Only 182 receiving yards on the year and three touchdowns. But the one that is the, the most prominent extra, in my opinion, it's not even close. Good old Cam Newton. Cam oh Newton is the backup quarterback for Florida at this time, and he's not used in this game, but in this season where he's a true freshman, he. Only had 10, 10 pass attempts, you know, 40 yards, 16 carries for 103 yards. Did have three rushing touchdowns, which is, you know, Florida playing in these, these blowout games, of course. But if this were now and Cam Newton was in that situation, here's the interesting thing. He transfers after 2007. There's no way he sticks around. Okay, so that's one thing. That's a, a, such a good point, dude, because I one of the thoughts I had watching this with Ryan Paralu. And, and, and Cam Newton, and I'll, I'll give you another one. He's in my prominent extras. You don't remember this guy, but but John Brantley. Oh, yeah, who, who's third string. When he, he, John Brantley and Cam Newton were both five-star recruits. Mm-hmm. And, and Urban Meyer said, I'm almost positive this. I don't remember the exact quote. But Urban Meyer brought up the fact that he was, he was the most impressive high school quarterback he had recruited while he was at Florida, like before Brantley. This, this is why he's still at Florida. So I, I brought this up to my buddy George Simpson. I said, Weren't you the one that said that that told me Urban said Brantley was like the the best you know quarterback recruit he he'd ever seen, and he said yeah I'm pretty sure he said that, but he also you you know was a liar. So like, yeah. but it was it was yeah like my my biggest takeaway was like 
if the transfer portal was a thing now, or I mean then, all of them, all the backups would have been gone. Oh yeah, so, but the thing that, that was different about then, of course, Florida was coming, as we said, Florida was coming off this national title where they used the two-quarterback system. And if you're right. Cam, you're probably thinking to yourself, all right, maybe I can carve out the Tim Tebow-like role. But with only one year of difference between the two of them, Cam would have looked and been like, all right, Tebow just finished his sophomore year where he won the Heisman. And this guy, I don't think he's oh, necessarily and I'm better than him. <laughs> yeah, I mean, maybe there is a little bit of that. But, you know, you're looking at the situation Cam and Cam would have transferred and so then he would have never stolen the laptop in November of 2008 and then Cam's Cam's story is just way glad you way brought different. that up Connor <laughs> he would have never stolen a laptop that he then wrote his initials in whiteout on as they were knocking on his door and then thrown it outside of his, or thrown it out the window of a two-story building that he was in silk exactly so also also would have probably the re, like one of the things that's forgotten about is again this is a five-star recruit and he was he was Listed as an athlete, he obviously played quarterback in, in high school, but Bark Rick famously <laughs> told him he was going to be a tight end oh, at Georgia. Gosh. So, but yeah, th- that is, so I'm going to get to the my prominent extras. And I know they're they're different um, than yours because you did yours the correct way and I listed off every <laughs> single, because, so for, for me, it's like, I, I get the way you did it is is the more efficient, better way to do it. I, I just, for me, it's like somebody that remembers all these recruiting classes, remembers all these games and the people that, that ended up having big impacts later. I was blown away by the people that, like, on the Bama-Georgia one we talked about, you know, all the players ended up going, you know, getting drafted from Georgia's defense, and there's all these guys that became, like, big, big stars. This was similar, but, like, not on the NFL level. It's, like, way more for just, like, the, the SEC level. They mm-hmm. were legitimate stars, though. But, like, guys like Trenton Holiday, I forgot, was on this team. The, the little five eight five he's got, seven. He's pretty active in this, relatively active in this game. I think. Like I noticed, Trent Holiday was a, was a huge, huge, huge player in the SEC that year. Like I mean, like because you didn't have guys that were as fast as as, as Trent Holiday, man. He was like, he that, jet, he said, yeah. yeah. Um, early Doucette, like I said, is not in the game. Ryan Barrow, was that was crazy. Chad Jones was a big one, and and I don't know if you remember the story of Chad Jones, but Chad Jones was a was a massive recruit that thought was going to go in like the top you know, one or two rounds of the Major League Baseball draft, ended up going to LSU as a five-star defensive back um, and also playing baseball there. And he had a horrific car accident uh, years later and it ended his career. But he was he was supposed to be special. Like, he he was going to be, like, the next guy. And he played a little bit in this game. He was a freshman All-American that season. But but um, Chad Jones was big. And then we have uh, – Ch- yeah, Chad Jones. Um, people like Chevis Jackson. I forgot about Craig Stelts, man. Ooh, Craig, Craig Stelts is, is is very active in this game. He basically had 11 tackles by the end of the first quarter. You're like, okay. He's an all-SEC guy, and that was, I mean, so then you have you have guys like for Florida, which it's almost, you almost had to stop listing it off because it was it was crazy. It's and insane. a lot of them were this early, early in the like, stage of their career. But I forgot about Bubba Caldwell, Andre Caldwell. Um, I think that's how they referred to him as Bubba Caldwell. Maybe it was... I feel like they've had a Callaway or a Caldwell on every single team at at receiver for like the last fifteen years. Yeah, that's fair. Um, no, but then you, like you have guys like you said, like the Aaron Hernandez thing. So take Casey, who's a kid I played baseball with. He was on one of my summer teams. He was like one of the top national recruits to play baseball. He's like, I'm going to play tight end of Florida, um, and he was from Texas. I thought that was, and he had, he was the one that caught the famous jump pass from Tebow. Oh, that's right, that's right. Yeah, they showed so, that. Course, a bazillion right. times yeah um so th- i thought that was kind of interesting and then and then just stuff like you know that lsu backfield and you have keystone moore who leads the uh leads the team in rushing on, on in this game which is shocking when you have guys like, like brandon james emmanuel moody chris rainey 
that was that was kind of surprising to me. And then and then those receivers and the defensive line. And, and one thing we forget about with this 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 defense because we heard so much about the defense for LSU. There's guys that were on that Florida team that were like Carlos Dunlap and then Derek Harvey, who Derek Harvey blocked three field goals in one game against South Carolina in 2006. Gosh. Just 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 absolute freaks that just didn't you know you just don't see that they don't do stuff like that anymore i think that's all of mine that's got i mean i think you could probably keep going for like five minutes or ten minutes i I mean yeah the receivers alone it's unbelievable um yes prominent extras but before we talk about the story art of this game Let's do. Uh, let's 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 tell you guys about. Uh, let's take a quick break. We're going to talk about our Facebook group, which is sponsoring. It just meant more. Want to take a quick second and give a shout out to our Facebook group? Yes, the Saturday Down South Podcast Facebook group is sponsoring. It just meant more. That is the place where we are throwing out good discussion topics, where we're posting the podcast, where we're just having a lot of fun, as Marler as Marler likes to do, as many of you know. If you have not joined our Facebook group yet, make sure you do that. We want to continue to grow our Facebook community, especially now. You know, we're doing two podcasts a week now, so that is the place to be. You want to ask a fourth or wrong question, make sure that it gets answered. Make sure that you sign up for our Facebook page. Make sure that you tell your friends about it, tell your parents, tell your girlfriends, tell your boyfriends, tell your whoever, tell your pets. I don't know if your pet has a Facebook. A lot of pets do these days. Kind of creeps me out. But anyway, just get them to our Facebook group right now. All right, back to the podcast. Your favorite line from the broadcast with Vern and Gary was what? Okay, so this is tough because there's a couple of them that are like my coldest takes and my favorite line because they were yeah, so dumb. There's a crossover there. Yeah. So there was, there, there was a line from Gary Danielson that I thought was pretty pretty good. I'm gonna say two. It's it's he's had a quote. He said it's not for the it's not for the faint of heart. If you want to win a national championship, someone's got to knock you in. A, someone's gonna knock you in the chin a couple times, and you got to get up off the canvas. And I thought that was so fitting because he said couple of times, and I know he didn't mean it with any kind of subversive way. But obviously, this becomes the first team and the last team that lose. Well, point. besides nineteen forty one Alabama, um, they claimed the national championship. This is the last team that has had two losses and won a national championship. Um, and I'm totally kidding about the nineteen forty one thing. That's ridiculous. But the other one was <laughs> he comes back from commercial and they're talking about Death Valley at night. And and it was I don't know if it was exactly uh, like it wasn't. I don't think he was correct or accurate in saying it. But it was funny with with, with how what Vern said. He said. Gary Danielson comes back. They're showing Billy Cannon after his uh, famous touchdown in the 1959 uh, game on Halloween. Pick six? No, no, it was a punt return. Oh, I thought it was a pick six. No. <laughs> oh, it looked like it was a We're very We're about to lose a lot of street cred six. from SEC fans. Um, I thought, wait, I thought I really did. Okay. No, no, no. no. Oh, it's it's like one of the most famous plays in SEC history. But So he has the, the famous um, you know, touchdown late, late on Hollywood or Halloween night, 1959, wins the, the – uh, the Heisman that year, but he said, you know, that's the beauty of college football. It never changes. The uniforms are the same. And he's talking about like, you come here with your grandpa, same seats, mm-hmm. same seats with your dad, same seats now. He said, you know, it never changes. Uniforms are the same. The field looks the same. Cheerleaders look the same. It's like being a Cubs or a Red Sox fan. It never changes. And, oh. and he's, and Vern goes, you and I do not look the same. That's where that ends. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it was really funny. So that was, that was probably my favorite line um, from the, from the broadcast. That was that was very good. That was peak Vernon Gary. Yeah. Um, the first throw, 
that Matt Flynn has, where it's just that awful pick to Joe Hayden. He just, I can't remember, was, was it LaFell that he threw it behind? I can't remember, but it was Ooh. just a terrible throw on yeah. a quick slant that should have been an easy first down. And Gary Danielson goes, this is just a woeful throw from Matt Flynn. Just a woeful right. throw. Just shreds Ugh. him on the first play. It was pretty pretty bad. But, like, Gary being, you know, who he is, he's going to be very honest. Yeah. And then, uh, I already said before that LSU football on a Saturday night, there's nothing quite like it in all of college football that Vern opened the broadcast right. with. The other one was just this so is good. When Florida takes the 24-14 to 14 lead, it's this – long touchdown pass to Cornelius Ingram where Tebow just hits him wide open and there's just nobody near him in the same galaxy. And so what happened was Craig, St- Craig Stelts, who we brought up before yeah. as one of the prominent extras, he bit on the fake receiver screen, which Dan Mullen doing his thing, I think that was. Um, it just this incredible answer from Florida where they make it a 24-14 to 14 game and, and the crowd was previously going crazy because as we found out, Jim Harbaugh's Stanford team had upset USC. One of the biggest upsets in college football history. Uncle Chris gambling line here. That was a 41-point underdog. And Stanford won that game at USC. So LSU fans are going nuts. They're like, it's a three-point game. Everything's going our way, blah, blah, blah. And then Tebow hits Cornelius Ingram on this long touchdown pass. And then they're looking at the replay, and Gary goes... He looked like the guy. The, he looked like the first guy out for practice. He was so wide open on that throw. He really did. It's unbelievable. <laughs> I, I spit up my beer. I spit up my water last night watching this game when he did this because I was like, like, like how, like how is he that open? And again, this is the number one defense in the country, and it was just like, what in the hell just happened? But I've yeah, never seen a receiver so wide open. No, it, it was ridiculous. It, 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 it was ridiculous. But yeah, and it's funny too. We talked about this like off air uh, before we started recording. Like the crowd going crazy for the 2007 thing. There were so many peak 2007 moments here that were. Mm-hmm. It was it was funny to look back at because like like you said, this is before like cell phones were as you know prevalent and or prominent and and like you know that's when I I remember those days like when you had to you had to wait and listen and the whole crowd would be quiet so you could hear. Right. Then make this like the announcements of other scores from like around the league, around the country, and you know now they have like the streaming banner, uh, you know like the, like the ESPN bottom line, like going like all the around ticker, the stadium. Yeah, yeah. so it, like everyone's like, oh, and like you know freaks out about USC losing, and then I remember them flashing up the the rankings, and again we talk about that 2007 season, like, and and he he makes the comments like, wow, because because also another great quote was, what a great moment for Ron Zook today. <laughs> And it was oh, it was because Great he was line. in Illinois and they beat Wisconsin, who was and, number five in the country, right? Yeah, the and time. and then like so the number three team, so the number two team lost. The number three team was Cal somehow, and they they're on a, a bye. The number four team, I don't I don't know. And and then so South Florida was number six, and he says, "Wow, South Florida's gonna be the top five. South Florida got up to number two in the country, <laughs> which is just so so peak two thousand. Missouri was ranked number one at one point during the season." Because if it, you weren't ranked number one or number two in the country in 2007, yeah. your team should have forfeited. <laughs> everybody. That's such everybody. A, but I mean, that actually, that aged super well, too. The LSU fans going nuts hearing that number two yeah. USC had just lost because USC only lost two games that season. And that ended up being a thing that kind of opened the door for LSU to even be allowed to play in that game. Dude, I've said I've said this before, and I, and I know that I was I was kind of crapping on, on Les Miles earlier in the broadcast and I'm not trying to pile on 
I've said this not just today, and I've said this several times on this show. The 2007 season, the best two teams in the country were Georgia and, and USC, and either one of those teams would have beat LSU, I think. So, and I'm sorry to say it, guys, but yeah, like that's I, I get why they were going crazy. But it, it was, uh, it was. I mean, think about this: how crazy that season was. At one, so seven of the last nine weeks of the season, the number two team in the country lost, and and late in the Nuts. season. Missouri and Kansas were playing, and that was the game I talked about, the game day sign, where somebody just started banging up a giant cupcake next to Mangino's mm-hmm. fat face. Um, they, that was Missouri-Kansas was two versus three. And somehow found a way. <laughs> right. What a year. What a year. Illinois went to the Rose Bowl that year. Oh, like, yeah. What? Was that – who was the running back? Merriweather? Mary- uh, Merriweather? No, that was um, – it was um, – oh, wow. Why am I – it was Mendenhall. Mendenhall. Mendenhall, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, yeah, but that, that, that year was just so, so nuts. And yeah. like that, that, that week was just such a perfect example. Yeah. So it was kind of cool to go back. Cause I, th- if this were 2019, everybody's following along on their phone or they're, or they're right. looking up at the stadium and it's a, it's a more subdued cheer than like, Oh, everybody finds this out at this nuts. one moment <laughs> yeah. because Stanford scored the game when he touched down at the very end. Right. So great, great moment. Coldest take from the broadcast. There, there are some good candidates here. What did you have? Oh, coldest take? Oh man, um, this is I got several, but th- there's there's one in particular. So the the wow look at wow look at this from Vern about that stupid play. So <laughs> so when when Tebow scores late in the first half, it goes up seventeen to seven, and they are just all over Tebow, and it, it just it only got worse as the season went on because this is a nine and four team, that, but he scores fifty five touchdowns, right? And Gary Danielson says. Not since Vince Young have I seen a quarterback control a game like this. I mean... You said it multiple times. And yeah. Vince Young was a senior. This guy's a sophomore. First off, Gary, Vince Young... Like, I don't know why you said not since Vince... Like, it was like it's way back... Ago. It was two years ago. <laughs> it was two years ago. And by the way, yeah, you're going to get cold taked hard because it's the first half. It's 17-7. They're in complete control at this point. But... Yeah, that didn't play out very well because they had 40, 44 total yards of offense in like the fourth quarter. It, they they fell apart in the second half. And the other one was, and this is, I think, not just uh, the coldest take from this broadcast, but one of the dumbest things I've ever heard anyone say in the history of the human language. Well, when, when Les Miles converts the fourth, fourth down, there's a minute and 47 seconds to go, and that is the fourth down where they could have kicked a field goal to tie the game. Now, to be fair, they had missed two field goals in this game. So maybe yeah, Colt Colt David was was not feeling him. No, but they're they're like it's a it's like a twenty three yard field goal. So he said <laughs> he says, oh man, Nick Saban, who if they win this game? What? I was gonna get to that later. Yep, I was gonna get to that later. Yeah, Gary uh, Gary had some rough ones in this game. Um, Nick Saban, the one, who the one that I wanted to to talk about on the top the top of the broadcast I, and I like the the YouTube clips where they show kind of the pregame that studio is cool, action. Yeah. Tim Brando and Spencer Tillman. Spencer Tillman says on the pregame broadcast and he speaks so fast and he sounds so confident in everything yeah. he says so it makes it that much better. He said if Tim Tebow runs the ball 15 to 20 times this game like he did a couple weeks yeah. ago he'll be knocked out by halftime. He's very Tebow, convincing when he says stuff. Very convincing. Yeah. Tebow of course ran the ball 16 times and was absolutely knocked out. Not knocked out right. by halftime or really at any point Tebow probably did more knocking out of, of anyone. But it was yeah. still this, this belief of like can this sophomore come in and be able to handle a tough SEC defense Line. It's like, yeah, it's Tim Tebow. He's gonna be okay. Remember, they said too at one point in the broadcast, and I know, what I, I know what I said earlier, and like, 
about about how he make like a bigger deal out of, of players like that. But remember what they said earlier in the broadcast? They said if you ask, we asked like his his teammates, and they said he's the toughest person we've ever met, which is crazy. No one's ever said that physically, emotionally, or mentally about a homeschooled kid. Throw that out there. True. Good yeah. point. Good point. Um, okay, so we've we've kind of delayed talking about this. LSU fans, you know it's coming. The Ryan Paraloo discussion. So Ryan Paraloo cold taked himself because yeah. when he signed when he signed with LSU, he said he guaranteed himself four Heisman's. So <laughs> that's um that's a bold move. Bold move. Uh, Archie Griffin would probably look at that and be like, ah, just just try and get two, and then, yeah. then we'll talk. Um, so he didn't even start four games for LSU. That stat course, is crazy, <laughs> which is. Nuts. After this year, he was kicked off the team. So this was his uh, his third season, and he had um, he had missed classes. Uh, he filled a drug test, and he he and Mark Sanchez were the two top quarterbacks in that 2005 class. Right. As you talked about earlier, everybody expected him to take over for Jamarcus Russell. They're waiting on him to to just be the guy. So the cold take isn't necessarily just Ryan Perlou, though. I guess it kind of is. Yeah. But it's the quote that Gary had about him. So he said, after one of these runs where he makes a nice, like, he was probably running an option or something like that, or it was like one of those where he makes like a nice little six-yard gain and he kind of show, flashes the potential. Maybe it was even the touchdown run that he had in this game where he was used in a very Tebow-like role. So Danielson says, I would also say that he's as good as advertised. He is going to be a spectacular player, and no matter what happens this year, if he plays more or not, he'll be ready to be a feature player next year. And then he wasn't on the team next year. Yeah, that's craziness. I mean, I, I will say, like, tough. from a talent standpoint, that kid was talented. It may, I, like, just get your blank together and, and that's it. it. But, like, but also, like, yeah, if you can't beat out Matt Flynn, like, dude. Man. <laughs> poor, anyway. Poor Matt Flynn. Yeah. Um, the Jadavion Clowney reminder that normal human beings don't play this sport. Now, when we did the first one, Amari Cooper was just an obvious yeah. no-doubter. But this game didn't really have these, like, these flashes of ridiculous top 10 plays. It was more of smash mouth SEC football in a lot of different ways. Right. There weren't these big time highlight real moments. So I went in a different direction with this because I think Tebow had about 12 of them where I looked at something he did where he's, I don't know, you know how you, if he's mm. at, at, at his size at 250 pounds, you know, whatever he is running a four seven. Moves, yeah. Making some of the moves that he did in the open field though, like where he had this, this, the second touchdown. So it was the touchdown run where he kind of made like that, that like nice move at the end and just up the middle of the field where he saw single coverage and he just ran it right up the gut yeah. and, and, and got into the end zone. That, that, was, that was impressive. The, um, the interception where he threw the ball off Cornelius Ingram's helmet, that wasn't one of those He threw such a bet. I wrote down in my original notes, I said he was a, he was a good, he was like a really good college quarterback. He was like, like he, he threw a good ball. He seemed accurate. Great college and, quarterback. Yeah, well, no, I mean, I mean, like, I mean, strictly from a passing standpoint, because that's what okay. everyone brought up when he got to the NFL. Yeah, he was he's one of the best college quarterbacks of all time. But like, like from a passing standpoint, like he throws a nice spiral. He throws a good ball. Like, but then yeah, then you like look at the stats. He's twelve of twenty six, and then also threw a ball off someone's face. That was tough. That was that was a rough. I will rough say it was it was stuff like there was a play and, and Gary got all excited about it where he was being like. He was being tackled, like he's being like try, like they're trying to drag him to the ground. He's he's rolling out to his left, and he ends up hitting. I think it was like Lewis Murphy um, for a first down. It was like a 15 yard pass, but he's he's got one of these massive LSU you know defensive linemen draped all over him, mm-hmm. and then and just fires a strike to this kid that's accurate right on the money for a first down. And I was like like you, 
as as much as I, I made the joke earlier about how like we we build up these players to to be more than they are. Sometimes if they're white, like Tebow is is the stuff he he does physically is is stupid, it's unreal. Yeah, it's it's absolutely amazing watching this. Yeah, so I would say um, Tebow had those moments, and then like I said. I thought Hester had a lot of moments in this game where, like, he's picking up the fourth and one plays where yeah. he just gets blown up in the backfield. And an average human being is demolished on this play, is, is probably depleted on, on some of these plays. Right. And the leg drive that Hester has in this game, if you're if you're a college or a high school football coach and you're trying to show your running backs what leg drive is, yeah. you, you flip on the film and watch what Jacob Hester did in That's these a good key point. moments. Because he was unbelievable and just keeping those legs turning and being able to get that every last inch was going to count on yeah. those plays and that that that's superhuman in itself to be able to have that kind of will to do that i agree and, and I'll, I'll say you didn't see it as much in this game but i'll say guys like trin and holiday who are like you know world-class speed that kind of thing like harvin for me is is the one that like the normal human beings don't play the sport because because what he's able to do and it's, it's specifically mm-hmm. i, I want to say it only gained like eight yards but when they brought him into the backfield and he takes he takes the handoff and, and goes left and then it's, it's just a counter play to the right side of the field and he's still able to bounce outside and get to the corner it, it, that that was i mean this was a very very talented defense that was impressive um and then you know the other stuff like where i said you, you didn't see it in this game but like yeah like the the carlos dunlap and the and the uh Derek harvey thing where you just have these like absolute physical specimens like off the off the edge was that was really impressive to me let's the the harbin transition that, that that's perfect because the trent richardson i can't believe they didn't make it in the nfl i understand that harbin had a had like a decent he had an okay nfl career he won rookie of the year which i kind of forget that but i thought he was going to change the nfl i thought he was going to be one of those guys that makes a ton of Pro Bowls. It's just this do-it-all, yeah. like, play-for-a-long-time Hall of Fame-type player. And after – so he, those first four years, like, you, you look back, he's actually, like, pretty decent, but he never had that 1,000-yard season. After his first four years of his career where he's dealing with migraines and yeah. stuff like that, which he became known for, he only played in 21 more NFL games, which is nuts. He was like a – Just nuts. He's not built the same way. He didn't have the same college career, but he, this is like a Reggie Bush type of – generational yeah. athlete and like i remember so i remember the 2008 sec championship game he was out for that no wait he was not out for that game um maybe it was 2009 no maybe it was 2009 yeah yeah so sense. i remember maybe it was 2008 i don't remember i thought he scored the game when he touched on 2008 but i remember at some point uh, he was on the sidelines and he was just in his jersey and his like he's not a big dude like it doesn't seem like it like on the field his like his 11 maybe yeah but his biceps were massive and i was like how the He's like a pretty big dude. I didn't know that. And somebody, like a buddy of mine, who's a Florida fan, was like, "Yeah, he benches like four hundred twenty-five pounds." And I was like, "What?" Like he, he was he was a physical freak. Um, I'll say for mine, it, it's Glenn Dorsey. Yeah, that that is that is like the defense of Trent Richardson. Like it's I I as somebody that's like has watched this game for like a like in the, or watched SEC games for a long time. I don't remember. I don't want to say it, it's like Manti Te'o where he like you know ha, like. It was like disappointing at the next level, or even like Tao was like the national championship game. But he was. There are a few players that are as decorated as him defensively ever, from from his position. You know right. what I mean? And so I was just shocked. Like that is that is. If you ask me today, I would still stand by it. Like that is in the past 25, 30 years. That is a one of the best. If you had, if you were making an All SEC team from that that time, he's easily on the on the four man front, the defensive line. 
And especially at a position like defensive tackle, it's not like you're a quarterback and you can kind of get put into a weird situation, or maybe right. you're a receiver or running back, and you're kind of you know maybe you deal with injuries or an offensive system that's just not really conducive yeah. to you. A defensive tackle, it's just mono y mono. You're lining up. I thought that guy was going to be able to have success in one on one matchups well, in the NFL. He played for eight years too, and and he had like I don't I you know his tackle numbers weren't bad for for his position, but I I'm talking from like a dominant standpoint. Like I just I yeah. thought he was going to take over. I did too, and and that that's why he was the fifth overall pick. But yeah, played on I think he played on like two different playoff teams, but yeah. never really became that that force that we right. expected to see. Um, okay, so hold on, I want to say one more thing, thing real quick. When we talked about the the Jadavian Clyde reminded that normal human beings don't play this sport. We said this off air. <laughs> one of the the very first thing I remember that I like, you know, you're watching the game, I bl- I'll blurt out stuff. I'm like, oh, that guy was from this high school, or this guy did this, and it's just stuff that I, I and I watched this game yesterday, twelve years later, sitting there with Allie on the couch, and and they said, uh, talking about the, the starting offensive line fellow shoot, and it was like Herman Brown, and I was like, that guy was the biggest baby ever born in the state of Louisiana, and she was like, what? <laughs> I was like, yeah, he was fifteen pounds, fourteen ounces, and she's like, are you like, are you serious? And I was like, and so I, we look it up, and sure enough, it was he was like, I I don't know how or why I remember that, but I like to this day I still remember that. See, that's one of those things that you say as like a little factoid while you're sitting with your significant other. Yeah. And then they say to you, but you can't remember like my mom's right, name or exactly. something like that. And then it's a tough look and you have to kind of walk that sorry, back. Sorry, like, Margaret. Oh, I don't, I don't. <laughs> yeah, sorry about that. Um, okay, the thing that you didn't know or remember. I, I, I preface, I, I say didn't know or remember until rewatching this game. Most of these things like I didn't know because if we're being yeah. 100% honest, so you provided the context of where you were when you're watching this game. I was a high school senior living in the Midwest who probably was like hanging out with my girlfriend on a Saturday night. Sick brag, I had a high school girlfriend. What up? Um, <laughs> but I probably just saw highlights of this game and then have heard stuff since then. And then this was the first time that I probably like went and watched this game from start to finish so like this. So, you're in the group that didn't realize that LSU wasn't good before Saban got there. Okay, something like that. Yeah, 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 yeah something like that. But so I didn't, and, and so all my factoids are based on this because. My during the time that I started watching college football was, which is basically the 21st century, yeah, um, and that I have memories from it. LSU has been good. LSU has been really good, and so I didn't realize until rewatching this that LSU had not been the number one team in America since 1959. Unbelievable. I went back and I looked that up again. Connor, let me to, give I, you a fact real quick before you, just in 2001 when they upset Tennessee in the SEC championship game, it was the first time. It was the first time they were going to be in. It was the first time they'd won the SEC since 1986, and it was the first time they were going to make a New Year's Day bowl game since 1986. I hear that. I hear that. But if you're somebody like me who just knows kind of the yeah. macro view of LSU at the time, you're like, okay, well, they won a national championship already in the past. They won a national championship four years right. ago, and oh, by the way, they had Nick Saban as their head coach. They were never number one in the AP poll. That's crazy. USC was number one in the AP poll after the 2003 right. season, and they had this rise to be able to get there. So just thinking about that and thinking about what this means for LSU, because we've seen obviously crazy LSU night games in the last 12 years where, you know, it's a couple top 10 teams, and you're like, all right, this is just kind of standard. This is Baton Rouge Saturday night. You know, this is just kind of how it Louisiana is. Louisiana Saturday night. There it is. Um, <laughs> didn't realize also that this was the first time in a decade that the two te- that Florida and LSU played at Tiger Stadium at night. Which that why 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 do they not play at night? I yeah I don't know I mean like it, and they, they, that that's 
that's always been a thing about how dominant they've been at night. And they brought they brought that up on on the broadcast about how uh, what do you call it? He had um, twenty four straight that they had won at home right. on Saturday night, and their last loss on Saturday night in Baton Rouge was to Bama in two thousand two. Yeah, and I, and like and this is, so it was cool too looking back at this like this is at a time when LSU was uh, yeah you're, like, so if you're if you're coming into watching football at like at that exact time when like Saban takes over for them in 2000 and, and or 2001 mm-hmm. and uh it was, I think it was 2000 I'm pretty sure it's 2000 but like when he takes over for them and yeah they they're they're like on the on the verge of a dynasty and and this is LSU has always had a like they've put up a fence around that state uh for recruits and, and get all the in-state talent but this is back when like you had some guys that, like, from a national standpoint, like like the Paraloo thing, um, and 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 other guys that like were were biggest big recruits everywhere. Like Xavier Carter, I remember Xavier Carter coming out. I thought he was going to be the best player ever in college football. It was like a dual threat guy, they, or I think they play receiver. But like, yeah, they they were they were on like one of the best programs in the country. But you forget that you forget watching for somebody for somebody like me, and I'm sure I don't have memories of LSU being bad. And, right, and I know that I don't think LSU weird. fans have a memory of that either. Somehow, I know there's there's probably a lot who don't. <laughs> it's it's, it's kind of crazy to think there there are people in college right now who maybe grew up in the state of Louisiana who like this is their 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 childhood. Like they, they look back at moments like this, and for me, that's like growing up with the '90s Bulls. That's right. that, six of the first eight years of my life I got to watch NBA yeah. win a championship. And so there are for LSU fans who are currently going to college right now. These are kind of like the, the, those glory days, and that's not to say that they haven't had glory moments in the 12 years since then. Obviously, they've had a ton of success, right. but you look back on those times and you forget that this come up that LSU right. was on, and it just in the 2000s decade and what this game kind of symbolized in the whole scheme of things. And I think it's one of those things too. Is there's a lot of programs that we that you know kind of forget that they think they have a better tradition, rich history than than they necessarily do. But this is one of those that that is like. It's it's better for the sport. I hate people say it, but it's better for the sport when LSU is good because they, they they're it's such a cool, awesome atmosphere and the fans are so passionate. It's 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 very I don't want to say it's it's unlike anything else in college football, but it's it's pretty close to it. I don't even know what LSU would look like. What Tiger Stadium would look like if it was half full? Is that, uh, is a, that, is that a, a thing? Bad to yeah, have? I don't even know. Like the only time I've ever seen it have less than ninety two thousand drunk people in it is those pictures of of Devin White on Daisy May. Oh yeah, shout out. R.I.P. Oh, rest, rest in peace, man. That's that's tough. A little too soon for yeah. that one. A little too soon. Um, did you have anything else for the thing you didn't remember or know until rewatching this? I forgot about how talented both sides were, and I, I initially put down like Florida's team about how talented they were, because um, this is like this was the first domino to fall. This this recruiting class with Tebow and Brandon Spikes, and all this, mm-hmm. that was the first domino to fall to make sure Saban came to Bama because it, Mike Shula. There was a couple guys that were like. Apparently on the fence, like the Bama fans felt like they had a really good chance at getting in like this these recruiting classes with Spikes and AJ Jones is one of them, and, and then obviously Tebow. Um, but I, I think more than anything, I forgot how some of these recruiting classes that LSU had were just Dominant. incredible, man. Like it just early do set. Like there was those were those were guys that were when you look at these like old Forest Davis recruiting annuals, like the number one player in the Southeast coming out and, and they're going to LSU consistently. It is crazy to think about that, and then also to think about the offense that LSU played with. That was just basically like a Wisconsin offense. Oh my god, it was so like they they were so talented, but it, like it was so frustrating to watch. Um, okay, Flor- Florida earmuffs because this this is tough. Uh, when did the losing team blow it? There are, there are some some 
some key points in this because yes, you could easily just say, okay, I thought Florida was going to get a goal line stand when what, before Hester had the game winning touchdown. You can yeah. point to that. That that's too easy for me. I look at Florida having the ball up twenty four to fourteen. And then they turn the ball over on consecutive possessions. Terrible. Cannot do that when you've got number one on the ropes. You're on the road like that. You got a chance to put them away. And you've lost the just four. a field goal. You, you're, you're right. You're getting right back into the national championship picture. Yep. And everyone else, everyone named Mama has lost this week. Florida. I, like I don't know. That, didn't, that doesn't factor into your play calling. But like, yeah. You know what? Maybe, maybe just put the game away and with this, this this kind of talent on a team like they should have been able to do that and it was that's not to discredit LSU but yeah so they had the fumble Florida has the fumble um I can't remember was it was it, uh I can't remember the tailback who fumbled but they're it, it's either moody or more I think yeah and they cough it up and then LSU goes on on a long drive and then comes up without points so it's like okay Florida's <sighs> good yeah, like Florida's still up 10 and then Tebow throws the ball off Cornelius Ingram's head <laughs> and they they get the pick, and then it's Spiral, like okay, though. now now it's time for LSU. Then then that turns into that turns into the touchdown drive, and they make it a, a one score game after that. But to me, there, there are some so you could point to that, and Florida fans are going to say that them blowing it was Urban not calling timeout when LSU was about to score with 90 seconds left because he essentially wasted 19 seconds they could have had for that last drive. And that's what that's what's easy to forget about that. After Hester scores a touchdown, they only had a minute and nine left, which for that offense, the way that it wants to move, that's not necessarily ideal. That's not Tebow's main thing. Yeah. It's not going to break off 25-yard chunks. He's just not that guy. So they could have had 138 left on the clock and with first downs the way that they are in college football with the clock stoppage and all that, they would have had a much better chance. Instead, you know, they kind of are, are left with just the, the Hail Mary at the end, which actually looks like a pretty good ball, all right. things considered. Um, so here's the thing. Like, and this kind of goes back to maybe like what I forgot about LSU's offense, but the painstakingly methodical style of, of football that LSU played on offense, where they were the, – these are these drives, Okay. LSU at one point had a seven-play drive that lasted three minutes and twenty-three seconds. And that was that was uh, ended in a punt. But after that, sixteen plays, eighty yards, seven and a half minutes off the clock. Um, let's see. Second half, you have uh, shoot. Where's that? Fifteen plays, eighty yards, eight minutes and eleven seconds off the clock. Like, I, uh, fifteen plays, seventy yards, uh, seven seven minutes off the clock. They they were able to control the time of possession in this game so so much. Um, it, it was I, the game was lost for me was it was in the late and third quarter. It's not just because of the the uh, the turnovers. I mean, it had something to do with it, but like you know, it, just being like the, the halftime the halftime adjustments, I guess, and and the way that the fourth quarter was played was LSU was the tougher team and the and the better team. And they had more gas left at the end. Forty-four I, yards was, of offense. And think about what this, this this Florida offense was doing in the first half. That was another reason why a lot of Florida fans will say, "Why did Urban not call a timeout there?" Because LSU was just on the field for basically the entire fourth quarter. Right. It felt like, Dude, so, and yeah, you need to give them a break in that moment, and for them to to waste those nineteen seconds, and then to call the timeout afterwards, where he basically like it was like you wanted to see him set up and then call the timeout, right. was just uh, not not the best look for Urban. Uh, so they had 314 total yards of offense in this game. Florida did, right? And and I don't know the exact number, but it was around 180 yards of it was in the first half on three possessions. 
They were up. They were up seventeen seven going in the half. They had three total possessions outside of the one where they took a knee in the half. Like that's that's ridiculous. Baffling to think about the way that this game played out and that LSU was able to to, to pull off the comeback in, in yeah. the fashion that it did. What would have happened afterwards if the result was flipped? So let's say Florida holds on to the lead. Hester is stopped at the goal line. Maybe it's another Joe Hayden tackle or something like that. Um, so you brought it up earlier. The quote that Danielson's had where you know Les Miles is converting all of these fourth downs and he's like, Nick Saban who <laughs> if Les wins this game? And he did say that afterwards. So LSU could have lost this game and theoretically... You know, they, they theoretically could have still... Well, they, they lost this game and, and still would have had a chance at the national championship, obviously, because yeah. they still technically would have had another loss to give. I think they still would have and, won it. Yeah, I mean, they probably still would have won it. Now, we're, we're also saying that LSU would have not had three losses and they would have only had two. Um, but here, the, I think the more interesting thing is Florida. And I oh, just thought Florida about Florida fell this. apart. If Florida doesn't lose this game, are we talking about three straight Florida no. national titles? No, we're not. Okay, so here's initially when I when I when I threw this out there, when my brain went to went to that road, because Florida, of course, lost two games and they lost the bowl game to Michigan, obviously. So they would have had the two regular season losses. There would have been a three way tie atop the division with Florida, Tennessee, and Georgia. They would have all been six and two in the SEC had Florida won this game. But Florida would have won the tiebreaker, if I'm not mistaken, and then they would have had a rematch with LSU in the SEC championship. I mean, yeah, I, I don't think they were. I, I don't think they would have. Florida wasn't that good that year. Florida wasn't that good though. That's that's, that's, that's the bottom. The thing, and I, yeah. I saw you put that in notes, and I'm not trying to say it in a bad way, but like, if anything, if anything, LSU, if they lose this game. They don't lose the rematch, first off. Uh, it's hard to be a team twice, in my opinion. True. Georgia was better than Florida that year. And you could say, like, yeah, maybe they just caught them off guard because they they felt you know they were reeling after the Auburn loss and this. But they shouldn't have lost to Auburn at home. They shouldn't have lost this game at home. They got embarrassed by Georgia. And that's at a time when Georgia didn't win that game very often. And mm-hmm. and so, you know, like if you're getting out coached by Tommy Tuberville and outplayed by Brandon Cox at quarterback the week before here, and and you can't put away a Matt Flynn led team at LSU when you're up ten going in the fourth quarter, and then you also getting out coached by Mark Richt, yeah, you're not a good team. I think if they lo- if they lose this game, here's a hot take for you: LSU doesn't lose another game, and LSU still wins the national championship. Also, LSU would have been a one loss team. Yeah, one because against, I mean I don't know what that. What they lost the next week, and again, it's hard to get up back-to-back weeks or stuff like that. But if you're telling me they lose this game and then they have to get back into the title hunt, they're going to beat Kentucky. Okay, I know that was a good Kentucky team. Andre Woodson was a fantastic quarterback. They had a lot of talent on that team. They're not going to lose to Kentucky. I don't think they lose that three-overtime game to Darren McFadden, Arkansas, which is one of the best games I've ever watched in my entire life. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I, I think I think it's—I don't think Florida wins the national championship. They were 9-4, and four, dude. Oh, I know. And in hindsight, it's, you know, you could, Tebow said coming into that year, he's like, he didn't say this at the time, but he said in hindsight, like, looking back, I knew going into that season that we, we had a lot of issues. We were incredibly young. We had major issues on the defensive side of the ball. And there were just things that I knew I was going to have to do more than I typically did. And of course, that ended up being his best statistical season because of all that he had to do. Here's another interesting Tebow question. 
do we ever get the promise if Florida wins this game? Hear me out on this. Hear me out. The promise, of course, comes next season after the old Miss loss, loss, where they lose that game at home. Tebow, with with all things the way that, that it played out, Tebow, when he makes the promise, is only 12 and 5 as a starter at Florida. <laughs> which is That's really good, bananas really good to think about. Because of course they were 9 and 4 right. in 2007. They start off 3 and 1 and in 2008. Maybe there's not that same motivation because maybe if they are playing for an SEC championship or, or whatever it is, Tebow's a junior. He's already he already won a national title as a freshman. He had just won the Heisman the year before, but he didn't have necessarily a team success that that played out the way that it did. If they had had even more team success, yeah, and they had you know those first two years were just really really good. Is there that same level of of urgency for Tebow where he's looking at that? He's thinking, man, I'm only 12 and five as a starter. His legacy is way different, obviously. What happened after that? But does he feel that sense of urgency in that moment if this if this 2007 season plays out differently? I don't know. You're 12 and five. You're you you're a homeschooled kid. You don't. You're not <laughs> mentally tough enough to to have that kind of confidence. No, I don't. I don't know. I don't know if he if that if the promise is made or not. The 12 and five thing is a crazy stat. But you Isn't know that though? this, I this 2017 and, and I, I said this earlier about the Troy Smith thing with Ohio State 2006. Derek McFadden was the best player in the country in 2006 from Arkansas. He might have been the best player in the conference in 2007. As as you saw in that game, where he was able to take over late later in the year against LSU. But the reason why this team wasn't very good is because Urban Meyer was a one-trick pony the entire season. And the mm-hmm. like the South Carolina game, Tebow has seven touchdowns. Who cares? Like you're beating you're beating South Carolina. Like and it just for me it was one of those things where you could tell Urban this offense was great. And Urban Urban Meyer was a fantastic coach and, and this was a these were great teams at Florida and and crazy talented. But to have that much talent and not figure out a way to utilize guys like Percy Harvin, to utilize guys like, you know, um, Lewis Murphy, Lewis Murphy, and and I wouldn't say Nelson, but like you know, just like Aaron they, Hernandez, yeah. They, but they had guys, they had so much talent on this team, and, and and you can't find a way to to piece that together. Where like again, this this they were in this game, they could have won this game, and they were a very talented team. And I know when it says nine and four, it looks worse because they have a bowl loss to Michigan. Mm-hmm. However, if you are losing games at home to Auburn the week before, and Auburn was a top fifteen team, but it's Tommy Tuberville, dude. You like you you have the talent. Like, you have the talent to beat these teams. You're not capable of doing it because the way you're coaching. He's still outcoached Lesson Miles. It is interesting, though, considering the, the high stakes that, that were at this game and, and what could have changed. And maybe, maybe with LSU, too, you know, because I, do think, I, don't think it's, I don't think it changes that much for LSU. Now, if we're right. talking about LSU being a three-loss team and they don't make a national championship, that's more interesting when you sit here and try and talk about less because – Obviously, this is his title season, yeah. and he's able to make it to the 2016 season. But if that was still a thing that's that's hanging over him, it's different. And well, 2007's changed the narrative with him and the, and the post Saban yeah. era that we talked about before. And what what happens if, if LSU doesn't win that title and the angst that they feel, it just feeling like Saban just has their number even more than he actually did. Right. And, and, and just to be clear, because I know it's, I might be contradicting myself here when I say that like they weren't the. LSU, I don't think, was the best team at the end of that season because I thought Georgia and USC were the way they were beating teams. But what I will say is, and that, that USC team, man, with like Mark Sanchez and and who was the Dwayne Jarrett, I think it was the receiver, and Roy Ray Mauluga um, at linebacker, like they were really good. The, the thing with LSU, I, th- I think here is is I don't think there's as much controversy late because again, they don't they don't lose to Kentucky, point. they don't have that blemish on the resume. Because no offense, Kentucky fans, but it's still 
not if even if they're a top twenty team, it still looks bad if you're losing to Kentucky. So I, I just I wonder I wonder what happens uh, after that. Just a wild 2007. The, the, the sliding team. doors are are nuts. It's absolutely crazy. The Rich Rod stuff. If West Virginia wins that that final game and they make it to a national championship, like a lot of Pat, a lot of different things. Had uh, Pat White, dude. Who was the running it? Was it Noel Devine? Steve the, Slayton. Was but Noel Devine was on that team, right? Uh, Slayton's the one that I remember from that group. Noel Devine was he he has the best high school highlight film I've ever seen in my life. Anyway, the last thing that we'll close out with. Because I, I botched this horribly last time, as you pointed out. The play or image that we'll always remember when thinking of this game. What is it for you? I now I feel like I've just like piled on less miles. But it's for me, it's it's definitely the five for five. Like the the uh, ooh, that just made me hungry. Um the five for five thing with with uh with Les Miles talking about how he goes for fourth down all five times and he converts it. Because what ended up happening was you had this thing with Saban with LSU fans that was like you, they knew they had they had their coach like this guy he got it like he he was able to resurrect this program and he was a great football coach. Les Miles it, it it felt like they were always having to talk themselves into it for a while you know like they had to like talk 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 themselves into him being a good coach. For me it's just that look I feel like every single time we ever saw Les Miles on the sideline at LSU he would look on the field and then he'd be looking up in confusion at the at the at the scoreboard, like the play clock. Every single time they pan to him. That's, that was my biggest takeaway. Do you think that the way that this played out, where LSU has games like this, where they, they really did play a lot of smash-mouth football, be able to come back in this game, and thinking that, that this style and the way that they could do this, and it didn't matter that they didn't have this All-American quarterback, and they still won a national title with somebody like Matt Flint, like how, how much do you think that plagued them in the 2010s as offenses changed ahead of the times. Nobody was calling LSU a modern offense. We're finally getting to the point yeah. now where LSU is talking about RPOs. And the way that this this sort of this made them believe we can line up with anybody in the country. No matter what. And just be able to beat them. Yeah, and, and that's maybe, a good that's a really good point. Like this. It's it's interesting looking back and wondering how how big of a factor this played and said and them saying, you know what, we've done this before. If we if we get the right pieces together, this is our style. This is our brand of football. This is how we feel like we're going to get to that level of, of dominance. And, of course, after 2007, they, they weren't quite able to get to that top of the college football mountain. Obviously, 2011 happened, but just a totally well, different it's weird. different way that things developed. I, I almost wonder if they think that, that, like, the way they ran this system, because you have Matt Flynn, who's just, like, your, you know, your legend, uh, leading them to the national championship that year. But then you have your backup who's the athletic quarterback that can run the option with Ryan Perilou. And, and like that combination was able to, however way they use it and how it ended up working out, you know, for a national championship. You wonder if the 2011 thing where it's like, you know what, I don't know if we should put in Jarrett Lee or if we should put in Justin Jefferson. And, mm-hmm. and, and, and they ran the option more than they should have with Justin Jefferson. So yeah, I wonder how that played into it. Yeah. Just, just wild to, to think about all the things that, that could have happened with, with LSU and, and you know the post, I guess really, I mean throughout the Les Miles era, it's just just a, a, a fascinating team to look at and the, the close moments. But this this moment obviously was one. I of think the it, worked the the it worked out for the best. It worked out. I love the fact they have Coach O, and I think they have they're they're in a better place now. Amen. Amen. Peak SEC, as as I said at the top, this this game was yeah. just so peak SEC. What I'll remember most is uh, Jacob Hester 
a lane in the end zone right yeah, there. That, that shot, shot at the end. Just kind of a perfect Ooh. moment to, to, to kind of encompass like what 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 a grind this game really was yeah. and how, how hard fought it was to be able to, also, to kind of get to that point. How about actually those are the things I forgot about? How about Florida only had two players drafted in the NFL draft this year? How is that possible? Holy they had cow, I mean that's that, right? that just shows you how young they were. It says it on their Wikipedia page. I'm looking at it right now. But I had to do a double take last night. I was like, wait, what? Like, what? Yeah, I mean, I guess because they were so young, but like, hey, yeah, I don't know. And it's funny because we always think of Urban Meyer as, as pretty much everywhere that he's been, he just reloads, reloads, right. reloads. And even that 2010 team, it wasn't it wasn't a lack of talent on that on that group that that plagued Florida necessarily. But you look back at this this year that was just just sort of odd for Florida in in, in what was peak Tebow, peak Urban, and we kind of forget. I, at least I, I tend to forget of like you know the struggles that they had in in some of these these close games and just kind of how they were able to to not quite get over the hump and they didn't have these championship ingredients that teams the teams that sandwiched that that season obviously did. Yeah, no, agreed. They they were uh, God, they were young. God, they were really they were so really young. young. So what should we? Do? This was fun. This was a lot of fun. I'm glad we got to do this. Um, what should we do for our next one? And when is our next one going to be? That's an interesting question. Next week uh, or the week after? I think. Well, no, it's not going to be next Two week because next week on Friday I will be in Las Vegas for my bachelor party. But um, I, I don't know. We need to we need to figure that out because like I I watched I've been watching a bunch of these and it's been like the Tennessee Florida stuff is always great. I would love to do one of those. Um, we should probably do one that Florida wins because I feel bad uh, for how this has gone. But uh, yeah, I mean like there's I'm trying to think of what should be next. We'll, we'll think of something. Maybe that we'll, well we'll workshop it. We'll we'll throw it out on the Facebook group. That's a, yeah. another reminder. Please join our Facebook group if you have not done so. The Saturday Down South podcast on Facebook. We kind of previewed, we teased these these things, and we we like getting your feedback. It's it's always interesting, kind of hearing the way that fans react to this. Some of which, you know, some 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 fan bases can look back, and it's you know the success that they had. It makes it a little bit easier yeah. to, di- to digest a loss. You know, we talked about that with Georgia fans and how you know the Rick thing kind of led to Kirby, but yeah. at the same time, I realize this is a little bit of a painful memory for at least some of you. For so. Florida fans. Oh, uh, yeah. bite me. They won Probably. the national championship the year after this, so I don't sure. even want to hear it. Also, sure. uh, you know what we should do next is the Auburn-Mississippi State game from 2008. They won 3-2. to 3-2. That'd be a good one. To two. Oh, that'd be a really good one. So, a little peel behind the onion here. I've been trying to get Tommy Tuberville on the pod for a while. A long time. Um, would love some input from, from him about that. That was... That would have been what? Mullen was. No, he, he was gone. Mississippi State in 2009. Oh, yeah, so he so was. This was his last year at Auburn. Yeah, it was Tuberville's last year. That'd be a good one yeah. to look back on. We haven't, we haven't decided yet. We'll throw it out on the Facebook group. And yeah, two weeks, I think, from now is going to be the plan. I think that's going to be our last one before the season starts. I think maybe that's the plan. Um, and then we'll re up again in the offseason. But hopefully. People are enjoying this. Hopefully this provided you some entertainment on a road trip, yeah. maybe, or something like that. We're just getting through the offseason one day at a time, friends. One day at a time. That's right. Coach O. Coach o, uh, this was before your time at OSU, but I know <laughs> that you were watching this game from across the country and feeling very fondly of it. I'm proud of Tiger. I didn't tell you to win the game. Go Tiger. Talk to you guys next week. <laughs>